Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In today's episode of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, I sit down with a very good friend of mine and mentor, Dr. Rob Kamenarek. He is an amazing physician and has really been an educator and a leader in the area of age management medicine and hormone optimization. He's president of Renew Health. He does speaking and educating all across the country. Dr. Rob is a veteran of the United States Army and has an Amazon bestselling book, all sorts of things. But what makes Dr. Rob so unique is he's really been a leader and on the forefront of challenging what we think about when we think about hormone replacement. In this episode, Dr. Rob and I talk all about who is a candidate for testosterone replacement. We talk about the pros and cons and what does the science actually say. And finally, what is the bigger picture as it relates to hormone health? I hope you enjoy this episode. I love sitting down with the incredibly charismatic Dr. Rob Kamenarek. If you like this episode, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share. This is what drives the podcast. Okay, without any further hesitation, let's dive in. Thank you to Cozy Earth for sponsoring this episode of the show. Cozy Earth makes the softest sheets, as well as pajamas, as well as other clothes and towels that you can ever imagine. I absolutely love Cozy Earth, especially in the summers. Whether it's hot and sticky, I swear these sheets create an amazing sleeping environment because they are temperature regulating. That's right. You don't have to sleep with one leg out and one leg under. I don't know about you, but it is just so uncomfortable when that happens. Cozy Earth, these sheets are so soft, you are not going to want to get out of bed. And if you do not like them, they'll refund your purchase price plus shipping, no questions asked. And you get 100 nights free to try out the sheets. Again, I love Cozy Earth. I have been sleeping in their sheets that are made from viscous, from bamboo for a very long time. And most importantly, for a limited time only, save up to 40% on Cozy Earth. Go to CozyEarth.com slash a Dr. Lion. You can enter my promo code Dr. Lion at checkout. You will save up to 40%. I highly suggest that you look at all of their beautiful, beautiful products. Truly, they are incredible. Thank you to one of the sponsors of the show, and that is One Farm. If you guys have listened to the show before, you've heard me talk about One Farm as a farm-to-supplement company, which is amazing. It makes products designed to improve people's lives using whole organic ingredients sourced directly from the farmers that grow them. Today, I would like to tell you about their gut health superfood. That's right. They have a bone broth that's been enhanced with botanicals and adaptogens to help support a healthy microbiome and better gut health. And really, when we think about health, we have to think about the gut microbiome. Not only does the gut microbiome impact, obviously, our gut, but also 
By the way, there is a gut muscle access and it makes perfect sense. The healthier your gut is, the more exercise capacity ultimately you're going to have. And there's a whole reasons as to why that is. But most importantly, this month, One Farm is offering my listeners a free gut health superfood. All you have to do is pay $5 for shipping. Go to onefarm.com, add the gut health superfood to your cart, and use the code LIONGH to redeem. Head on over to onefarm.com, use the coupon LIONGH for your free gut health superfood. Dr. Rob Kamenarek, you and I have been friends for quite some time. I consider you a friend, a mentor, and really a pioneer in the field of testosterone and hormone replacement. It has been, testosterone in and of itself has been very controversial. And before we talk about testosterone in detail and a little bit about the history and a little bit about some of the pivotal changes within the industry, the way in which it's prescribed, all of those things, I just want to highlight certain metabolic aspects of testosterone. When people talk about testosterone, they often talk about the anabolic impact, which you talk about and we're going to. There are also cardiovascular and metabolic implications to having adequate levels of testosterone and low levels of testosterone. I'm just going to lay this right out on the table. Testosterone uh, therapy in individuals that are either insulin sensitive or insulin resistant have uh, different metabolic profiles, which I think is, is, is fascinating. So insulin sensitive individuals have a decrease in lipolysis. Insulin resistant individuals with low testosterone have decreases in um, uh, triglyceride storage. So triglycerides are more elevated in the blood, increase in fatty acids, free fatty acids in the blood, decrease in glucose uptake. So muscle. When we think about testosterone therapy, again, we always think about the anabolic impact. What about the implications from a metabolism impact as it relates to type 2 diabetes? There is a decrease in glucose utilization, change in mitochondria, change in lipid oxidation, all kinds of things, which are fascinating. I would agree. It's incredibly fascinating. <laughs> Without a doubt, so it's hard. It's hard to to overlook the andro androgenic qualities of testosterone because, listen, um, we're all superficial to some degree, right? Vanity is never going away. Big muscles and skinny waists, everybody wants them. So, uh, and that's what they want from their testosterone. It, that's what they want from you know the. The peptides that are such the rage, it, it gets them where they want to be faster, right? And it helps overcome all these issues. It's, uh, it, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you have to be very disciplined and consistent to take a natural pathway towards optimizing your hormones. And it's getting more difficult even for the uber-disciplined and consistent individuals to overcome all the toxicities that we're exposed to. So if you look at the average person, somewhere north of 200 different toxins floating around their body at any given time. And even when you're eating healthy and clean, 
how is it that you're going to overcome all these things that are just polluting your body, all these forever, forever chemicals that are everywhere, let alone overcome the deficiencies that you have in your own metabolism, right? So if you have leptin resistance, insulin resistance, you have cellular inflammation and resistance to hormones, you know, your thyroid hormone, your testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, how do you overcome that? And then if there's genetic issues as well, Right. So understanding CAG uh, repeat length at the um, on the androgen receptor at exon one. And so if you have these long CAG repeat links, you're not going to have the sensitivity that you need, you know, which can explain uh, a, a lot of the variability that we see between individuals. Why is it someone can have a total testosterone of 800 and a free of 15 and feel absolutely normal and have no symptomatology whatsoever? And then you have somebody who has a total testosterone of 1,000 and a free of 27, yet they're tired all the time, they're losing muscle, they don't feel good, their executive function is down, they got no get up and go, no drive, no, no libido. And that comes down to that genetic component, that CAG repeat length. And the longer that length, the less sensitivity you have. Add on top of that all the toxins that we have in our environment, and you have a recipe for just not feeling good. I'm going to ask you a straight shooting question. Hmm. Okay. Ah. Let's say everybody does everything right. Can they defeat the decline in testosterone? Yes, they can, but it's getting more difficult to do that. Got it. To what degree? See, I feel that I don't know individuals. I think that <laughs> I, I think that no matter what individuals, if your testosterone is low, you can sleep, you can do all the things you can get off SSRIs. You can avoid marijuana. You can avoid these cabinoid, uh, <laughs> Yeah, endocabinet. So off about. the marijuana, off the ADD, antiolytics, antidepressants, um, alcohol, get off all the processed foods, the cakes, the cookies, the candies, the chips, the soda, right? Clean up that toxic environment. Because even when you clean it up, you're still going to be exposed to things that you can't help. The water's polluted. You need to be filtering your water. If you don't have reverse osmosis in your home, then get the portable uh, systems from Berkey and Alexa Pure. Uh, those are two really good ones. And I use them in both my homes because I like to take them around and they're easy to travel with. The filters are really good. You can filter the water uh, really well. And I have them in the office. So doing everything you can to limit your toxicity is going to help improve those hormones moving across the cellular membrane into the cell and then binding at the level of the receptor. What I'm seeing more and more and you know, I've been doing this now since 1996. You know, I really stumbled into wait, hormones. Wait, since 1996. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about the history because you are you have been in the group of some of the first. And I don't want to overlook that. And I do want to talk a little bit about the history. Sure, we can always do so that. So you've been doing this since 1996. 1996. I, I stumbled uh, really into it. It was not really in my plans, hormones. And uh, you probably can remember back in the day when you did residency, you spent three months talking about female reproductive health. And there was a paragraph in a textbook about male health, maybe a page or two, really. And uh, you spent maybe one residency meeting, you know, talking about it. And I, I had a, a patient, it was, um, I was actually open in urgent care for a um, hospital system. And 
someone pulled out a guy on a motorcycle pulled out in front of a car got t-bone flew off we packed him up sent him to the hospital several months later he shows up in the office in, in the urgent care complaining doesn't feel good and long story short he ended up losing both his testicles so at the time i was like oh i flipped open harrison's textbook of internal medicine and went okay testosterone 200 milligrams i am every two weeks sounds great but let me call the urologist call the urologist he's like i don't do that so he says call the endocrinologist i called the endocrinologist we only had a couple of times he says yeah 200 milligrams i am every two weeks call it a day hangs up so i i give it to him and he he feels better for a little bit but then he feels bad he feels good he feels bad he feels good he feels bad and this is 1996 so you know go to the library go to the medical library crack open some more books looking for answers not really finding anything but i worked out in this gym and and the guy that owned the gym was a bodybuilder so i approached him i said hey i got a question for you You take testosterone right he kind of gave me the hairy eyeball like what do you mean and i'm like well listen I i got a patient I have him on testosterone. He feels good, but then he feels bad. Like, how do you take this stuff and not like be on this roller coaster? And he he unscrews his, he had a protein powder thing and he unscrews it and inside he had his paper where he had written down everything he takes. And so he shakes that off. He gives it to me. What I saw was testosterone cypionate, 200 milligrams, IM Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. And I went, oh, okay. But, that, but that's a lot. You know, so um, I thought, well, let me just back off the dose. And so I backed off the dose and we tried that with this kid. And this is 1996. And he's like, man, I feel good all the time. And that right there really piqued my curiosity. I was like, wow, wait a minute. And that's when the journey just started. And it was a progression. We got into the early 2000s, Women's Health Initiative, all the stuff about hormones and cancer and heart attacks. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And then all the studies coming out saying, oh, testosterone causes prostate cancer, causes heart attacks, causes strokes. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm going to kill people. So that, that progression of moving through that environment and then Abraham Morgenthaler's work comes out. It's like, oh, wait a minute. So it's been a journey over the last 27 years and to where we're at now, where we have numerous studies to show us otherwise, that it's cardioprotective, that it's prostate protective, that it's metabolically protective. Very different from the environment over the last you know, 15 years. So the last 10 years, it's been really nice to see the progression of things and to see the validation of Hey, wait a minute. Optimizing hormones is a good thing. I've come to the point where I truly believe that the body has an innate ability to heal itself given the right environment. So while I love testosterone, the big tool in the toolbox for men and women, I always wonder myself, is there a way to recover this individual? So in my treatment strategies, I always lay out what the potential options are towards recovery. If it is an option, sometimes it just isn't. You know, is, can we use a biologic? Can we use a selective estrogen receptor modulator? Can we use testosterone? Are we going to use nutrition strategies, exercise strategies, uh, body comp recomposition strategies? Are they just so overweight that we need to pull that off? So it's a progression. And oftentimes I look at it as first, I need to heal you. Then I need to get your nutrition really straight. And then we can look at performance. So how I approach an individual depends where they're at. How old are they? How young are they? What's their exposure to things? 
where are they at with their medicines? Where are they at mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially? All these things come into play as to the treatment strategy. You could always take the simple approach of like, eh, just take testosterone. And and that's a Which strategy. I actually, I, I actually, I like that approach. It's a great approach. You're laughing. I, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I actually- I'm not because they do that approach with a lot of people. Listen, if you want to overcome cellular resistance, you can just drive right past it. And, and it works really, really well. But in my inquisitive, curious nature, my ultimate belief that the body's capable of healing itself, is there another way for certain individuals? And for some people, it's like, listen, I want my body to perform its best naturally if it can do it. If it can do it. If it can't, guess what? We have these options to choose from. And that's a great thing. I'm and before, which it is a great thing. And it's interesting because I have known you for years and you've certainly become more, I don't know if the word is um, more holistic, but certainly more interested in environmental impact. Before we get to some of those endocrine disruptors and the toxicology of the world, which plays a huge impact, I want to highlight some of the history and I want to go through some of the major roadblocks that physicians and patients still have sure. in their understanding of testosterone replacement. So in the late 1980s, testosterone was rarely used. And you actually had that experience. It was is typically reserved for men with pituitary or hypothalamic tumors or and or removal of testicles for whatever issue or trauma. And this was in the, the 1980s. Again, you had that experience in 19, was it 98? Yeah, my first exposure to testosterone was after I got out of the military in 1987. And that was my okay. first exposure to testosterone cypionate. And I, I grew up as a, um, in, a, a young teenager with, I don't think I have the book here. I think it's at home. Um, the Making of a Bodybuilder, you know, by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was my Bible. So I was, you know, I was small in high school. I wanted to get bigger. I wanted to lift. And my first exposure to testosterone came in the, in the late eight, 1980s. Um, and it, I was like, Ooh, do I really want to do this? Do I not want to do this? And I opted not to do it at the time. Uh, it wasn't until the two, uh, 2013 after a really bad head injury that I actually went on testosterone. Interesting. And that was also the same time that the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, published a study in 2013 saying that testosterone increased cardiovascular risk, uh, that there was an increase in cardiovascular risk with testosterone therapy, including strokes, heart attacks, and death. And this was a very pivotal study because the study contraindicated, a, what, 20 years of medical research and literature saying that testosterone really played a role in prevention of cardiovascular disease, which you do talk a lot about to other physicians. I do want to point out the flaws of this study that, um, do you remember that? Of course you do. That observational sure. study that really right. got it was so just much trash. attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it was. And the study was found to be tainted with the inclusion of 9% females mm -hmm. in an all-male study. There are, there are multiple problems with the study. But yeah, if you fast forward, right? So let's, what, what group are we talking about? So when it comes to treatment strategies, am I dealing with a 19-year-old who smokes too much weed? Or am I dealing with a 55-year-old that's maybe had 
a previous history of MACE, major adverse cardiovascular event. Maybe it was small. That data pool is very different. What I'm going to do for those two individuals is going to be very different. A 55-year-old male with uh, insulin resistance and gaining weight and has had maybe an incidence of MACE, listen, the data is pretty clear. Testosterone is going to benefit in a major way. The question comes then is what delivery methodology? Am I using a synthetic? Am I using a bioidentical? And what does that look like? For example, we know that synthetics, when it comes to your lipoproteins, can be neutral or it can even drive them negative. And if you're using a bioidentical, we can keep them neutral or make them positive. And the end result's the same. You're going to raise the testosterone, but there's different effects at the lipoproteins. Same thing. Can you expand on that? Synthetic and bioidentical. And if you're talking about uh, which lipoprotein, I think that the listeners would love to hear your expertise. So one of the things that I've noticed clinically over the years is that you'll see a change in lipoproteins when you put somebody on testosterone, generally beneficial in nature. So over the course of about 16, 18 months of consistent therapy with lifestyle adjustment, you'll see beneficial results in the lipoproteins, especially with bioidentical. And I deliver bioidentical via transdermal methods, right? That is a transdermal delivery system. The synthetics you're going to get are injectables, right? And they're in seed oils and not everybody responds positively to those. For the most part, most people make decisions about their health and wellness with a minimal amount of diagnostics and laboratory. That is not my approach. I take a very deep dive. You know, a CBC, a Chem 14, that's, you know, nothing. Yes, We're going to look at 33 different hormones and their metabolites. We're going to take an intensive look at their lipoprotein and their family history from a cardiovascular standpoint. Because I believe though the data does point to testosterone being cardioprotective. And I do believe that there, to me, there is a yes and no there for some individuals. It's incredibly beneficial for others. It could be problematic and you have to watch that. And clomiphene, for example, or clomid great medication. But when I monitor lipoprotein levels, I do see in certain individuals, does mosterol production go way up? Now that could be a problem for somebody who has a significant family history of cardiovascular events. Somebody who has um, thrombophilia hypofibrinolytic disorders, that could be an issue. There's a lot of gray areas in medicine that you can't say it's 100% this or 100% that. And that's what needs to be taken into consideration when placing individuals, male or female, on hormones. That's why I have an issue with some of these cringy clinics that just throw testosterone at anybody who comes through the door as if that is the solution. And listen, I love testosterone. I prescribe a ton of testosterone. But is that always the answer? And that question isn't asked often enough. Is this the right pathway for a 22-year-old to take? Right? Is, when you start to them on... Somebody who's older. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. And you have a, a pretty structured way in which you go about it. You mentioned inclomiphene. The difference in, well, number one, what is inclomiphene versus clomid? What do you see the difference in? What are some of the results that you see? Say, for example, do you see a certain percentage bump in testosterone? Do you see mood changes? What are some of the differences 
Number one, what is it and what are some of the clinical applications? So Clomid or Clomiphene, a selective estrogen receptor modulator, works the level of the brain, increases more gonadotropin releasing hormone, you make more LH, travels the testicles, you make more testosterone. That is one part of the equation, right? It works in the brain. The other part is the testicles. Do the testicles have enough of the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and cholesterol to be able to generate more testosterone? So there's two parts to that equation. Clomiphene, you can get as N-clomiphene, which has had one of the components removed from it, which is zooclomiphene, which supposedly makes it less estrogenic. I like using N-clomiphene because I see a doubling in the number quite consistently. And I generally don't see as much rise in desmosterol levels. That has to be to weighed into what's the family history of the individual I'm working with. And what are their goals? Some individual may, may say, listen, I want to recover. I want to do this as natural as possible. Okay, great. Here's our options. We have selective estrogen receptor modulators. There are peptides. There are biologics like HCG all the way to where we get the testosterone and all its different delivery methodologies. Which one do you feel, and I lay out all the pros and cons to the patient, which one do you feel is the way you would like to go? And then let me give you my clinical expertise over 25 plus years of using these medications of what's probably the best pathway for you. Now, in somebody who's younger, I like to take a step ladder approach versus coming at them full guns right away. Because what if I'm able to recover their hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis, right? What if we can do that with HCG, which works wonderfully? What if we can do that with enclomiphene? Great pull it away, drug holiday, see if we've rebooted the system and save testosterone for a later date. If, like that if, if we use those two things and we can't get resolution, well, now you have an answer. Now we, we have to use this. We don't really have a choice. You failed this therapy. You failed that therapy. The only thing we have left now is the big tool in the toolbox. Now the person's, it's like being a diabetic that has to use insulin. Now, if you're going to have to deal with some of the unwanted side effects and predictable unwanted side effects of testosterone therapy that can occur, well, now you're going to be able to deal with them because you're in the right mental space. That That's oftentimes, I, I of, often hear individuals in the community say, you know, testosterone is great. Every man walking the earth should be on testosterone. Well, yes and no. Every man needs testosterone. Every man doesn't need to be on exogenous testosterone. So you have to be ready to deal with the unwanted uh, and predictable side effects from testosterone therapy that can be problematic. You know, you take 100 guys, there's going to be 90. You're never going to have an issue. But then there's going to be 10 that there's going to be some heavy management with. And that's where the work really comes in is, is in dealing with those issues. So I, I people need to be well-informed about their choices. And that's why I, I take issue with some of the cringy, cringy, cringy places that do just minimal testing. And it's all uh, like a business model. What can I do to get them on testosterone? I mean, now you've got ads running down in the state of Florida, you know, testosterone with a visit, you know, $49 and you get your testosterone. And what I've heard, it's actually testosterone that's being, uh, brought in from India and the, the packaging is all being replaced to make it look like it's, you know, us product from us. Uh, pharmaceutical companies. I mean, it's just turned into a huge, huge industry. Which um, definitely has issues. The, the positive aspect is 
people are starting to recognize how important it is in cardiovascular disease, in dementia, um, osteoporosis, diabetes. Testosterone is not routinely used for diabetic patients. You use it all the time. Type 2 diabetes. All the time. Of course you do. Because you are uh, an innovator, of course you do, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast, because looking at the history of testosterone utilization, there's, uh, you know, um, Morgenthaler, this, this, uh, and what was it? The Androgen Society? Andrology? Mm-hmm. It, it was, um, anyway, they created a society. I think it was the Androgen Society and you it, with the goal of the urologist, the endocrinologist, the family care provider all coming together and really understanding what the risks and benefits were. And I think that started 2017. Where you really excel is you have truly been doing this for much longer than the majority of individuals and really being uh it's become at the forefront. fashionable in the last so like, now it's fashionable, years. which is they haven't lived hilarious. through all the all the uh, oh my God, the, the, the flack I took from colleagues in the late nineties and two thousands. And I'm like, oh my God, it, it was, you know, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're going to kill people. Let me tell you something. I, out of the tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands at this point of men that have put on testosterone, the, the, the benefit greatly outweighs the minimal of a ra- amount of risk. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see what testosterone optimization therapy does for the individuals who need it. And coming back to the diabetes, there's so used to be back in the nineties, early two thousands, I saw one diabetic patient a day. Now it's everybody that comes through the door. It's everybody. The type two diabetes and insulin resistance is just so profound. And I believe there's multiple reasons for that. However, when I get a, uh, mid 40s 50 year old guy who's overweight insulin resistant i can change all those other parameters and with that low testosterone adding in testosterone overcoming the cellular resistance getting past the inflammation itself while i'm calming it down and changing those numbers we can go from really out of control hemoglobin A1Cs that are, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, and within a year have them back at 5049. So it, it really does work wonders to correct um, metabolic syndrome. Absolutely. I'm going to give you a number here. So this was, there. there's a, there's many great papers. And this is, this is, let's see, um, Testosterone therapy has been shown to prevent the development of type 2 diabetes in a randomized placebo-controlled trial. Obese men with impaired glucose tolerance or early diabetes, which you treat all the time, with testosterone concentrations less than 400 were treated with testosterone for two years. In addition to lifestyle changes, there was a 41% reduction in the incidence of type 2 diabetes. Um, and then among the early type two diabetic patients, there was a reversal of diabetes in 45% in the testosterone arm only. So it is really, really incredible and interesting. It's not used as a standard of care for weight management. We well, can't just want to body recomposition because that's what it is. But listen, right? you are right. And we can prescribe Ozempic, Mongerno, 
all of these anti-diabetic medications or obesity medications in a much more robust way versus being able to prescribe and testosterone. I mean, now, but just in the history, I think that that's really sure. fascinating to think about that we can treat fat tissue, but conceptually treating muscle tissue, which one of the reasons why testosterone improves insulin sensitivity and glucose tolerance is because it affects these GLUT4 receptors um, in skeletal muscle. Yeah, for whatever reason, because of the red tape and because the science is so slow, we can treat obesity, but we can't treat muscle. Yeah, it's funny. So, you know, Rick Collins could give you a complete legal history of testosterone over the years and how it's, how it's, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's transgressed through the, through the years. Yeah. Now there's, and he's, he's been on the show. Right. He's amazing. And now yeah. there's talk of, you know, possibly removing scheduling so that it won't have some, uh, you know, stigma attached to it for a certain community to use it. Uh, however, I digress. And there was a recent study, and, and we should get into some of the cardiovascular aspects because you have fought uphill for this. And now the uh, Mohead Kara came out or was uh, part of this study that uh, was recently, I believe, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, talking about how there was no increased risk of testosterone replacement therapy within, you know, natural levels, not super therapeutic levels that showed no increase. Yeah, that's that's in a whole. Kind of, yeah, that's another discussion altogether. Um, it, it, over the years, when I first started, it used to be in LabCorp that the yeah, if you looked at levels of testosterone, their parameters were fifteen hundred and five fifty was low. And every guy that I would see when I would check testosterone in my age group, I'm fifty eight, their testosterone would be nine hundred, eleven hundred, you know, thousand. That was normal. And I only would see patients who had cancer, radiation, chemotherapy, trauma, and they would be, you know, or they were older that I was putting on testosterone. So it wasn't, you didn't see this huge number of young men. And testosterone indicated for the treatment of hypogonadism. The labs, they keep shifting those parameters to the left saying that these are normal levels, but they're using sick people to call these normal. Now to the point where on the left, the it's 250 or 220, 225, something ridiculous with, with the top range being 900. Well, me naturally, when I check my levels, I'm 1,000, 1,100 with a free of around 2023. That puts me above the range, so I may, I make too much testosterone naturally. But that's what normal used to look like twenty years ago, and when I check labs now, it it doesn't. These young kids come in. I had somebody here yesterday, one hundred three. That's crazy. So when you say levels five hundred, five hundred to me is incredibly low. That's not what normal looks like. Now that's looking at total testosterone. We really want to be looking at free testosterone because that's what matters. And that's about two to 3% of what's available, right? What can cross the, the, the cell membrane and bind to the androgen receptor and is about holding up those free testosterone levels. So that's going to tell you more about, uh, about, uh, how the hormones affecting the individual. But then again, if you have issues at the level of the cellular membrane that it can't be transported, because if it's not transported into the membrane, where well, then it can 
bind to the androgen receptor and translocation and transcription can take place, it's all for naught. And that's where ins- or testosterone resistance and testosterone being able to cross across the cell membrane and have effect at the cellular level, that's the important part. And if your free testosterone levels are low, that's not going to happen. If you have inflammation at the level of the cell, that's not going to happen. If you have too much toxicity in the body, that's not going to happen. Right. If you have metabolic disorders, that's not going to happen. You're behind that metabolic eight ball. It's never going to recover without using testosterone or one of the other agents, a biologic or a selective estrogen receptor modulator to overcome that. I find in the older men, they're just going straight to testosterone. Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. Today, I would love to talk to you about collagen protein. Yes, collagen protein is not a complete protein. But here's what I've been thinking a lot about. I've been thinking that we really should be eating dietary protein in ratios, not just high quality proteins like muscle meats and beef and bison and chicken, but actually also all the parts of the animal, which include collagen. I have been working very hard to add at least one scoop of collagen to my normal protein meals. I think this is a great idea. I also believe we're going to start to see more balanced of these kind of meals. You can do the same. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. That's firstform.com slash Dr. Lion. You can try their collagen. I've been using their natural collagen This is wonderful for hair, skin, and nails. It may have some positive effect on your gut. But what's even more interesting to me as of late is this idea of balancing the amino acids in collagen with the amino acids that you get from your muscle meats like beef and chicken, those kinds of things. So more to come on that. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion and let's start to diversify your protein sources. Thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the show. By the way, it is absolutely time for my Inside Tracker redraw. In case you're wondering how I know that, it's because I have gotten an email. Inside Tracker is an amazing, amazing service. And basically, what it does is it provides personal health analysis and data driven wellness guide to help you live your best life. What this is, is this is a series of blood biomarkers that you directly have access to, which is incredible because that means you don't have to wait to get into your physician. You can take control of your health. This is an incredible, incredible service. Basically, you'll go to their website, you'll pick out a plan, you'll decide what you're going to do, and they've added even more biomarkers, which include ApoB, which if you don't know your ApoB number, you should because it really is an indicator for heart health and it's preventative. They've also added insulin, all kinds of things that you can have access to. And if you go to insidetracker.com, pick a plan. They have generously offered 20% off to my listeners. Again, this is a service that I use myself. Go to InsideTracker, like insideyourbody.com slash Dr. Lion, and you will get 20% off whatever your plan is. What level of testosterone, you know, again, I, I do want to highlight the 
length of experience that you've had with looking at blood labs, you've seen when 500 was considered low. Now, according yeah, to the, the guidelines, <laughs> it's crazy. And this is an issue. It is. This is an issue because we're seeing uh, a testosterone of 1500 individuals, providers freak out when there was a period of time where that was that's normal considered that that's was considered normal, normal. It's not so how super can physiologic we... yeah but... okay this is a really important part of the conversation in terms of comfort level where are you comfortable with individuals testosterone being from a higher end of normal resolution of normal of symptomatology the number for me means nothing. I want resolution of symptoms. And that's going to come depending on where that level of free testosterone is. Because it's not the total testosterone that matters. It's the free testosterone that can cross the cell membrane and bind to the angiogen receptor. Then there's the genetics that come in play. So that angiogen receptor has eight exons. And exon one is responsible for transcription of what's happening. So if your CAG repeat length on exon one is too long, you're going to have an insensitivity to testosterone. So there's multiple factors as to why the level of your total testosterone is irrelevant. And when people focus on that, and I mean this humbly because there was a time when I did, it tells me you don't understand testosterone. The total testosterone number is irrelevant. What's the free testosterone? And if we had a test, there isn't an economically viable test to look at CAG repeat length. There are tests out there, but they're not commercially available. And they're not economically uh, sound. Maybe someday we'll be able to do that. Um, and that would be great because that would certainly help with treatment. But everyone is different. They really are. Not every individual is the same. And it comes down to all those factors. You need to be able to trans transport, translocate, transcribe the hormone. And if those aren't working, it's not going to happen. If you have inflammation at the level of the cell and that bilipid membrane, that's not going to happen. Toxicity is too high, metabolic disorders. There's so many other things that need to, that, that need to be in place and functioning well for the hormone to be effective. And that's why I always talk about you got to heal the person first. And have you found that those individuals that you suspect have a CAG repeat and are androgen insensitive when you remove other insults, for example, mercury or lead or, I don't know, mycotoxins, other environmental yeah. type issues. Viruses, do you see fluoride. That free, do you see that their free testosterone comes up or do you just have to administer, what would be strategies to increase free testosterone. So that's the goal, free testosterone. The easiest way to do it and why so many people, uh, I I was like, why does this work this way, right? So my curiosity, I'm like, I want to solve this. I really want to understand this. And why are all these differences between individuals? Why is it just not the same for everybody, right? So you can drive past that cellular resistance to a point. However, when the toxicity is really bad, when the cellular inflammation is really bad, when there's CAG repeat length issues, when I challenge them with testosterone, it doesn't solve the issue. Fascinating. Meaning they don't feel better they don't or feel their better. free testosterone so if I have stays some, the same. If I have somebody in the office, right, I can challenge them with testosterone. In 15 minutes, what's going to happen? 
eyes light up, cheeks get rosy. Because where does testosterone work? It works in the brain. So if they're sitting in front of me, it's like, okay, we're going to challenge you right now. See how bad this is. Boom, 15 minutes, they light up. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know I could feel like this. I need to go home. I need to find my wife. You know, they're ready to go. They want to, I need to go to the gym. I want to pick stuff up and put it down and pick it up again because it works in the brain and makes you want to do work. That's what it does for men. When that fails to happen in front of me, when I challenge them, I know we got serious issues. I know that by default, the toxicity is pretty bad. The inflammation is pretty bad. I'm not overcoming the cellular resistance. There could be a CAG repeat length. So coming back to the levels, it doesn't matter to me if I see it's greater than 1500 and the free is 30, 40, 50. Now I'm overcoming the cellular resistance and I'm getting results. While I'm doing that, I'm detoxing them. I'm dealing with all the other metabolic issues, right? Because it comes down to some basic human psychology, right? The discipline, the consistency, what's their emotional state, their spiritual state. Because when you get so far behind the eight ball, you need to get traction and get moving forward, right? They, they need to see some progress, some hope. It's like, oh, I can see it now. You know, they, they get motivated. They want to do more. So oftentimes it, it is right out of the gate. It's like, we're going to go straight to testosterone because they have just way too much to overcome. And then we're going to do everything else uh, alongside of it. What about for women? Do women also have CAG repeat issues? It certainly can come into play. Testosterone is a different animal for women. They certainly need it just as well. It usually starts to fall off in the mid-30s, but it can fall off sooner. There's other considerations. You know, Women feel thyroid, men feel testosterone. So for women, it's always thyroid issues and uh, birth control issues. I've been talking about this for years. You, you put a woman on birth control, you're creating a catabolic state and you better be prepared to deal with it. And um, there are some great individuals out there doing phenomenal work in healing all these young women uh, in, you know, from their teenage years up into their forties with, with all these um, birth control induced, you know, catabolic states and the crashing their metabolism. And you, you need to be able to, to, to deal with that. It's the same thing with, um, you know, GLP one GIP, the dual. Now that we're going to have, tri you know, triple agonists that are coming out. Um, you're going to create a catabolic state and you need to know how to deal with that. What good does it do to pull the fat off of somebody if you're going to waste their muscle in the process and make them skinny fat. So you need to understand how to use those medicines and use them well. When let's circle back to the younger individual and then kind of go forward to older individuals, more mature as they mature. say, <laughs> when you, and, and by the way, for the listener, I have been in your clinic. I have spent time in your clinic I call you when I have very complicated cases Yoda. and talk to the community. <laughs> I'm, I'm the wizard <laughs> behind the curtain. That, that's Rob. me. The what about this person? The wizard behind the curtain. Do this, do that. Yes. I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. So if anyone is lucky enough to be mentored by you, um, then they're in for a very funny, charismatic uh, journey. I'm in the process uh, right now. Days. We've been filming. I'm in the process of getting all of kind of my life's work on video. And we've got that film that I'm actually working with somebody that's, uh, I think, going to bring yeah. that all to fruition because at some point I need to make sure that this gets passed on if something happens to me, <laughs> which eventually will at some well, point. Um, 
Well, eventually, yes, nobody gets out alive. We will definitely share that and have you on. I mean, this is, uh, I'd love to bring you on quarterly where we talk about some of these new evolving therapies. Let's discuss when an individual is young, you will typically trial them on a Clomid type compound. And I actually learned this coming into your office that a handful, I don't know if it's 10 or 15% will get extreme anxiety when you put them on testosterone, Mm -hmm. which is completely counterintuitive. So you tend to do this stepwise approach where you'll start them on Clomid. I'm curious as to the dose and if you dose it every day or if you're using Clomiphene, again, the dosing and the strategy versus when you use Clomid, when you use HCG, how do you put that into play? And then what are you looking for in the labs? Let, let me give you a case example, because that uh, teaching case. So in uh, something I'm really passionate about, there are so many young men today that are, um, oh, just don't know where to turn. You know, being told being masculine is bad, uh, you know, that being masculine is toxic, or somehow there's something wrong with them. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's two poles. There's the feminine pole. There's the masculine pole. It's a beautiful thing created by God. And when the two come together, wonderful things happen. So there's nothing wrong with men or being a man or being masculine. But we'll take a 19-year-old, for example, suddenly you know, doesn't feel like playing sports, um, doesn't feel like dating or even I get this complaint a lot having erectile problems at late teenage years, early twenties, check their testosterone levels. They're low. Immediately I go looking for an offender. So the, what are the big ones? Anxiolytics, antidepressants, um, um, marijuana. Those are usually the big ones, top three. So ADD, ADHD medications, where do all these medicines work? They work in the brain. So it's first removal of the source. Uh, marijuana in, in my area where I tend to, where I live tends to be a big issue. There's a lot of marijuana use ever since the so-called legalization. Oh, marijuana m- must not be bad. It does all these great things. Well, it doesn't do great things for your hormones. So it'll crash them. So first let's say we get rid of the marijuana, see what we can do. I'm going to take a step ladder approach to that. I like to use enclomiphene or HCG with young men. If they're needle phobic, I'm going to use enclomiphene. If they're not needle phobic, HCG is a great way to go. There's just a, a, an enormous amount of data in HCG in young men in recovering from hypogonadism. And it works really well. If those were to fail, then we always have testosterone to use. However, I almost never get there with a young man. So it's about spending time with them, the mom and the dad, explaining what the issue is, putting together a treatment plan and following that plan. And then at some point, removing the medicine and see if we've rebooted the system and is it going to do what it needs to do. So first step is really removing all the offending agents, if, if that's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. What is, do you know the mechanism of action as to why marijuana creates such a, a negative impact on that hormone? It's incredibly mode? estrogenic and it works in the central structures of the brain and it just, just destroys gonadotropin releasing hormone and LH and FSH. So it, it, mm-hmm. it negatively impacts the brain for hormone secretion. So if you, using it every now and then, but smoking three times a week, four times a week or daily, very bad. 
from a, yeah, hor- just hormone, a, a, a standpoint. Com- just had a conversation because um, it seems to be, uh, again, like you said, more of a trend these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're smoking more marijuana using anxiolytics and then requiring some kind of counterbalance. When you dose uh, Clomid, how do you dose it? Do you dose it daily? Do you start with 12 and a half milligrams? Do you start with 25? Do you start with 50? I think it's all across the board for providers. It, it is. I go anywhere from six and a half, six point two five to 25 milligrams. Depends on the individual and sensitivity. You can't have unwanted side effects from enclomiphene. Um, I've had individuals, and not very often, but um, uh, headaches, that kind of can be a common one. Uh, I had one person that ended up with dyscalculia, couldn't do math. So we pulled it away and suddenly his ability to do math came back. So, well, that's not an option. Um, you, I do watch lipoproteins and you can see derangement of lipoproteins with those medications. So uh, I, which one's better, HCG and clomiphene? It depends on the individual. We kind of work it out. But my goal is always to have them off therapy at some point. Um, so... It depends on all these little factors as to what I'm going to use and uh, how long we're going to use it. In clomiphene or clomiphene, I generally use on a every other day or third day basis. There are individuals that do better on it every day. Um, when I used it trying to recover from my head injury to get things going, um, uh, I was using it every third day, then every other day, then every day, and still wasn't getting movement the way I needed to at the time. And uh, that's one of the reasons HCG didn't work for me. I got incredibly anxious on HCG. So ended up moving to testosterone, which solved the issue at the time. And then uh, after a few years, I'm like, okay, I really believe I can recover my system naturally. How am I going to do this? Right. So it depends on the individual. How long do you initially trial them on Clomid for? And are you looking for an increase in LH? Are are there certain lab values that you're looking to say, okay, this is actually doing the job that we intended it to do? Three to six months. Trial them for three to six months and then remove it away. If if they've removed the toxins that are causing the problem in the first place, there's a good chance you'll recover it. The other issue you run into is they feel so good on it. They don't ever want to come off of it. You know, there's just like, everything works great. I like taking, I take it every third day and things function just fine. I'm not stopping. Okay. Is there a certain percentage increase in testosterone that would be average or is it, is just completely individual? Uh, It's individual, but in general, I see a doubling in the number. Oh, that's right. You had mentioned that. And 500 500 will always be. 99% 99% of the time, it's going to be over 1,000. So if I start their numbers 500, it's going to be over 1,000. The question comes in is, what are we generating in free testosterone? And is it having effect at the cellular level? And if it's not resolving symptomatology, it's like, well, we trialed it. It didn't work. Let's try another path. You know, Are we going to use a peptide, kiss peptin? Are we going to use HCG? At this point, are we just going to go to testosterone? Do you, do you give it up to three months or do you know pretty quickly if Clomid is going to work? It depends on the individual. Some people, literally the first pill, they're like, oh my God, something's different. And other people, they need to be on it for four to six weeks before they start to notice a change. 
And do you look at LH or FSH before deciding which agent you're going to use? Uh, that's part of the initial workup. So I'm looking at LH, FSH, total testosterone, free testosterone, pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, IGF-1, IGF binding protein 3, growth hormone, <laughs> all, the th all the thigh, T3, T4, TPO, TSH. I'm laughing because I've called you on. I know. Uh, you know what my lab profiles question. look like. There's I sheets. Do, I do, but the listener doesn't know and they need to know. I look at everything. And then I got calculations that we run, right? And then you run certain calculations because I've called him and said, why are you using IGF binding protein, protein three? Um, and then we go back and forth. But as it relates to HCG, and, and also one of the other questions I want to get at is, are you looking for an LH or FSH that's less than five to know if it even is going to be effective? Yeah. So normal production, uh, normal production of LH and FSH and LH of five or greater is going to be normal, uh, seven or greater for F FSH in men. So uh, I'm looking to see those numbers. But again, it really comes all the way back to free testosterone and what do those levels look like? If you have a low free T, and you're not going to get penetration at the level of the cell. I need that above 2% at a minimum. I'd like to see 4 or 5% really. That's where you're going to see a lot of changes. What about HCG? How do you dose it? Do you dose it at, you know, the standard kind of... 250 to 500, three times a week. Where, as a, where are you? As a maintenance, 250, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Initially starting out, I'm going to use larger amount to get things going, see if we can get some changes, right? We, are they going to feel those changes too? Because ultimately you want resolution symptomatology. If you're not getting resolution. So much feelings. <laughs> well, that's what it's all about. I mean, it, same thing with women. It's like, what good is it if going on progesterone and estrogen and testosterone and thyroid if you don't feel better, if you're not throwing your feet out of the bed and hitting the ground going, I'm ready to go today. Let's go. I can't wait. So if, if you're taking hormones and it's not solving those things, there's other issues. Remember, I can put you, any doctor can make any delivery methodology work and you'll put you on all kinds of different hormones. However, if nothing else is working right, if your sleep is off, if your nutrition is off, if your exercise is off, if your, your mental uh, sanity is just wiped out, you know, if you're just so stressed, no hormone can overcome poor nutritional habits and poor lifestyle habits. I don't care how much you take. All those other things need to be in line. And how... Um, first of all, I, I do agree with you. How long do you give HCG to work? Mm, six to eight weeks generally. And what is your comfort level in terms of length of time you will keep a patient on it? Uh, indefinitely. They don't build up antibodies. You, you can, you can over time. And there are certain individuals you'll get a couple years down the road and it loses its effectiveness and it's time to move on. Where do you think the industry or the practice is going? What, what do you think is next as it relates to, do you think it's, you know, just to clarify, the reason I'm asking you this is because you have always been one step ahead of where the trends are going and what you're seeing in clinic. Do you think it is environmental medicine? What, what is next? What is going to be the next iteration of therapy? 
That's a really good question. And I wish I knew the answer. I can feel, and I'll use the word industry for a lack of better term. Uh, I feel like there's this shift happening in medicine and I firmly believe it's headed towards health coaching and more of a partnership model. There is so much disease prevalent, not only in the United States, but around the world. And the old healthcare system is just not working, not working. And we really need to partner with other individuals to modify lifestyle factors. So I see the use of more health coaching and a movement away from uh, traditional healthcare. Hormones aren't going anywhere. They're 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 here to stay. And there may be you know thanks to certain political groups changes with respect to testosterone and scheduling. We'll have to see. But I as it relates to some. Oh, no. sorry. Go ahead. It's hard. So just to the, for the listener, Dr. Rob is not in studio. I've been begging him to come in studio. So the interviews are always a little more difficult when they're remote. There's a, a slight delay. Um, so this fall, I, pr I promise. Cause I'm, I'm, oh, actually, I, my goodness. I'm going to be in Houston just... right before your book release. Yes. Right before the book release. But anyway, just to apologize for the listener for, you know, there's a little interruption that happens and it's, it is just because the, the lag of, um, not being in person because Dr. Rob is super, super lazy. Didn't want to fly in. Busy. What else am I going to say? Anyway. I need an assistant for my assistant just to keep my schedule. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Um, so the idea of health coaching, I think, is great. I love seeing you talk more about environmental uh, toxins. The barrier to entry for some physicians, I do want to mention because I, I learned this from you. When individuals see an increase in hemoglobin hematocrit when they are placed on testosterone, freaks a lot of providers out and a lot of people out. And you have a, a high tolerance for that. And you also taught me that it's not uh, uh, polycythemia. It is erythrocytosis. Uh, I'd love for you to explain this because I think that there's an unnecessary fear for people. There is. So we're not talking about, let's divide this up. There's the bodybuilding community and the overuse of DHT derivative steroids and, and, and testosterone that can lead to really high levels of a hemoglobin hematocrit. In, in, testosterone replacement therapy, testosterone optimization therapy. It is expected and even desired to see testosterone-induced erythrocytosis. It is not polycythemia rubrovera. Completely, one's blood cancer, one is a expected and desired result of testosterone therapy. It's You're going to see a little bit more of testosterone-induced erythrocytosis with injectable versus transdermal, but they can occur with any delivery methodology, whether it be pellet therapy, injection, transdermal, oral, it can happen. It is desired and expected and not anything that needs to be worried about unless the patient is having symptoms such as erythromyalgia. So burning and tingling in the hands, red face, right? Increased blood pressure, shortness of breath. In the 
tens of thousands of men I've put on testosterone over the years, maybe six people I've actually had to use therapeutic phlebotomy. You can reverse that process by dropping the dosage down, extending the time in the dosage, or even holding withholding therapy for a moment of time, and those numbers will come down. You can use therapeutic phlebotomy. It is not something that needs to be done with any regularity. Not long ago, I had a physician come to me who felt terrible. He was out. He just, I feel terrible. I feel sick. Something's not right. And he was donating blood on a monthly basis. Most of it being done by himself. So he had to get his own bags and he would draw his own blood because, you know, I, I need to phlebotomize myself. And so he induced, a, you know, an anemia. So I see silly things like that happen. It's not not necessary. What level of hemoglobin hematocrit do you tolerate? Do you feel is safe? Uh, any. I don't. I personally do not chase anything down unless they're symptomatic. So the last person that I uh, recommended doing therapeutic phlebotomy to was a man in his sixties who purchased a home in Colorado at. 12,600 and some feet. And this was new. He lives at roughly sea level, flew to Colorado, goes to his home in the mountains and suddenly feels short of breath. To me, that's a red flag. Let's think cardiac. Let's. So we actually took a really close look at his cardiac parameters. And it turned out he had some plaque in the left anterior descending artery that was a problem. So that was another, but part of the treatment plan is like, well, let's, let's phlebotomize you right now and see if that helps. And we went ahead and did that and it corrected his shortness of breath. When he got back down to sea level, nothing was an issue, but it was interesting how, when he got into the mountains, all of a sudden there was a little bit of an issue. We phlebotomized him, relieved it at that point, but we went ahead and chased down some cardiac because I felt something didn't smell right. Right. And it turned out that he did have uh, an obstruction his left anterior descending. So not very often do I phlebotomize people and it's not necessarily, it's, it's overutilized. Now, if you're doing something else, you're chasing down bodybuilding protocols and using obscene amounts of DHT derivative steroids. Well, yeah, you may have to, right? Because you end up with renal problems, hypertension problems, all kinds of issues. They, but we don't know anyone who's doing No, that. that's not what I do. It's not what you do, but there are, there are, that's a whole different world that I'm, you know, not part of. And there is, there is, you know, there's Tom O'Connor. He specializes in treating, you know, guys that have used DHT derivative steroids and continue to use them. That's kind of his world. So, what I'm hearing you say, and what the listener should understand, is that there has been a standard of practice of recommending routine phlebotomy to lower hemoglobin hematocrit. And what I'm highlighting here is that Dr. Rob, who's been in practice for 20 plus years, been really doing this, has been looking criti critically at the literature and seeing that um, it may not be necessary. Well, it's, and it's, I also. It's not. And it, it got to a <laughs> point where, you know, the hematologist put out a paper clearly stating um you know, that testosterone induced erythrocytosis does not require any treatment and stop confusing it. And part of the problem is a lot of doctors use polycythemia and erythrocytosis interchangeably. Erythrocytosis is an elevation of the hemoglobin and hematocrit. There's no elevation in platelets or any other parameters. Polycythemia is an elevation of the entire bloodline. 
And if they have polycythemia, you can diagnose that with a JAK2 gene test. So let's not confuse the two terms. They're not interchangeable, right? So we're talking about a medication-induced erythrocytosis, testosterone erythrocytosis that does not require therapeutic phlebotomy. What you should be doing in your treatment of individuals is adjusting the dosage, either the frequency, the amount, the timing. I love that. I love that. And another barrier to entry for physicians and also patients is this idea that testosterone um, induces prostate cancer. This was discussed in the 40s. That myth is dead. It seems to... <laughs> Abraham Moore You know what? I say that dead. about cholesterol and people still talk about dietary cholesterol. You know, Can have, you please talk having, about that? Having yes. normal, you know, Upper quartile levels of testosterone is protective of the heart. It is protective of the prostate. It is protective of the brain. Testosterone is good. Muy bueno for both men and women. <laughs> like en enough of these myths. They've been disproven. There's literally hundreds of studies on the cardiovascular standpoint. Now, we just had the Traverse trial, which showed again, even though I think the study was kind of like, eh. Uh, but it still proved the point. It's cardioprotective. And we know that. If you look at all the, the intermountain studies, middle-aged men with major adverse cardiovascular events, where do you want to be? It, it shows it again. Being in the upper quartile is cardioprotective. They live longer, right? Having low levels of testosterone is not good. You're, 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 you're shortening your health span and ultimately shortening your lifespan. And that's what we're really talking about is this is about your health span. This is about your lifespan. What do you want your life to look like, right? Life is hard any way you cut it. It's going to be hard to be healthy and it's going to be even harder to be sick. So I choose healthy. So life's, life's hard. You're going to have to put in effort. You're going to have to, you know, forego things, you know, because you're gonna have to miss on things because you want to get your sleep. You need to exercise, meaningfully exercise on a daily basis. You need to be strength training, stop endurance training. For God's sakes, that's another one that drives me crazy. <laughs> and there's another study that was out in the How do you really feel March. about that? It's like, you know, you always wonder, they like, see all these endurance athletes like, oh God, they're in really great shape, but they're having heart attacks and strokes. In the last six weeks, I know of three women, very sadly, and my heart goes out to these families that passed away in their 40s from acute coronary syndrome. And some of them were new to exercise and going aggressive without ever being appropriately screened prior to starting these exercise programs. But uh, also doing these endurance things, they're not good. And don't get me wrong, cardiovascular exercise is good for the heart, right? Running is good, aerobic exercise is good. These extreme endurance things though, uh, it's been proven time and time again that, you know, for longevity, not the best way to go. Strength training, man, lift weights, pick them up, put them down, stay strong. Got to keep muscle, got to keep healthy muscle, got to grow muscle, got to do everything to prevent muscle loss, especially as you age. You have to, period. You want to live, I and it's all about being able to do this. Agree. This, right? The 1.4 Newton kilograms yeah. it takes to get your butt out of a chair. The second you can't do that, you're in a nursing home. That's it. Now you got somebody else caring for it. It's a, then it's a slow spiral to death, right? So I spend a lot of time when I exercise working on from the abs down. Standing up from the chair. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of leg work, right? You want to have strong hips, strong legs. I mean, I work all my entire body, but man, you got to stay strong. You know, you're gonna, that's how you're going to prevent disability and disease. Stay strong. Keep the muscle. It's all about the muscle. So you're saying muscle is the organ of longevity? Yes, I agree. 100%. <laughs>
Um, Dr. Rob Kamenarek, I just adore you. Thank you so much for spending time talking about these issues and treatments. You truly are a pioneer in this space. We will have you back on and I will link all the ways where people can find you. And he's finally got his act together on Instagram. So we'll uh, link that. Yes. Can really bad. I just started really using Instagram time. over the last three months. So it's, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. I, I was so hesitant and it's been fun. Yeah. Please come find me on Instagram. Cause I do put stuff on I there. I will tag you. Yes. We collaborate. Yes. Um, and my Instagram is much better. Of course it is. But listen, you know, I was an old dog that finally got convinced to like go learn some new tricks. I'm like, all right, I'll go do the Instagram. Yeah, who convinced you? Hmm. I don't know. It's just a couple of anyway, yeah, you. I love you, my friend. <laughs> and uh, we will link everything here. If people want to go see you in person, I will also link your clinic and all of the things. Thank you again. I'd love to have you back on in the next quarter where we can talk more about some of the other emerging studies and and probably some more of the toxicology yeah. of what people can do to improve their gotta seek, cellular seek health. The truth. Gotta find out the truth. There's always <laughs> there's always another way, right? So but yeah, I'll see you definitely um I think it's October and November. I'm in Houston. I think both months. Yeah. I think I'm there October and November. So yeah. Oh. Well got a place for you to stay, buddy. Yeah. I'll be there and All right. um yeah we'll do it live. Yeah. Talk soon. All right. Take care. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.